Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We're all drinking more water these days and we're all concerned that we're drinking safe, clean, unpolluted water. Yet, according to our friends at the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in the United States have harmful contaminants in their tap water. That's why it's worth checking out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. They remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, you know, those forever chemicals, in your water supply. PFAS, by the way, is found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. AquaTrue has water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. Their proprietary purification technology is independently tested to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAS, nitrates, and many, many others. The filters are affordable and long-lasting, and they do not need changing every two or three months like so many others. They last from six months to up to two years. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. Less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you won't be buying bottled water and it'll save the environment from tons of single-use plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and makes a great gift. Today, listeners to Food with Mark Bittman receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com, and enter code Bittman at checkout. For 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier, go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code Bitman, B-I-T-T-M-A-N. Have you ever bought something, owned something that really inspired you to up your game? A tennis racket, a new pair of running shoes, a new piece of cooking equipment that made you just want to cook your brains out? I know that when I first started cooking on induction burners, I just couldn't stop. It was so much fun. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Some of the features that are available on this car include dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats, you know you want that. Available 33-inch all-terrain tires, which you will want when you check out the multi-terrain select. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. I cover all things food, from cooking to gardening to fabulous ingredients to junk food, health, sustainability, even policy. You might say I'm obsessed with everything about food. Food is the one substance that connects everything to everything else, and it connects us all. Not only can we not live without it, not only does it determine much of what goes on in the world, but we love it. Hi, this is Mark Bittman, and welcome to Food. I've been writing about food. I've been deeply involved in food and all of its aspects for 40 years. I started writing when I was a young man, and now I'm not. 
I did not grow up by any means as a foodie. I started cooking when I was about 20. And at the same time, I became aware of environmental issues, issues of race, issues of income inequality, generally issues of fairness and justice. And gradually, as the years went by, I cooked more and more. I wrote about food more and more. And I remembered the lessons that I'd learned as a student and as a young man about social justice. Eventually, around 2000 or 2005, I began to integrate the two. So while I still love to talk about food, I love to cook, I love to mess around with unusual ingredients, I love to mess around with common ingredients, I also see the important role that food plays in all of our lives. There isn't an aspect of food that I'm not interested in, and there isn't an aspect of food that we won't talk about on Food with Mark Bittman. One final thing. I recently began what we're calling the Bittman Project, a team headed by me of four or five of my most trusted colleagues who are all working together to expand the message that food is important, cooking is important, but it goes way beyond that. And you'll meet some of those people here today, and they will be here every week with me on Food with Mark Pittman. Today we'll be talking with Nigella Lawson, the indisputable queen of British cooking and author of the new Cook, Eat, Repeat, Ingredients, Recipes, and Stories. Nigella and I will be talking about cooking during COVID and coming out of that, along with many other things. We'll also take some of your questions. We'll chat about what we cook this week. All this and more coming up on Food with Mark Bittman. I probably don't need to tell you that spring is here, and with it, fava beans, spinach, ramps, for what they're worth, spring onions, scallions, peas, before too long, arugula, a zillion other greens, really a great time of year. But I want to say something about frozen vegetables, not because I'm pushing them particularly, but I make no apologies for keeping frozen vegetables in the freezer. And late summer vegetables, peppers, corn, tomatoes, and so on, they are good year round if they're decent quality to begin with and you keep them frozen. I grow and in September buy pounds and pounds of tomatoes, and I just throw them in the freezer and enjoy them year-round. So for tomatoes, peppers, corn, maybe a couple other things, I'm still pretty much relying on my freezer. So don't forget about that as a resource. This is a great spring recipe, asparagus leek soup. You slice the white part of a leek, wash it if you need to, and cook it for, say, five minutes in a couple of tablespoons of oil or butter, along with a clove of garlic just smashed, a chopped carrot, and a bunch of chopped fresh asparagus. Chop that asparagus small, an inch or even less. Um, when that's all covered with oil and starting to soften, add about six cups of chicken or vegetable stock and bring that to a boil. Simmer it until the vegetables are tender. It'll only take five minutes or so. Then puree. So be careful with the blender, but then puree. Add a few tablespoons of cream if you want a richer broth, or just taste and season with salt and pepper as you need to. I'm talking today with Nigella Lawson, who is the goddess of cooking and um, therefore needs no introduction. I will just say a couple of things about Nigella. She graduated from the University of Oxford. She's been a book reviewer and a restaurant critic, as well as one of the world's great cookbook authors. Her first book was How to Eat and was published in 1998. Um, and her second book was How to Be a Domestic Goddess, published in 2000. Um, she's written others as well and done television and blah, 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 blah. Uh, her latest book is called Cook, Eat, Repeat. We're going to talk about that and some other things. Hi, Nigella. Welcome. Can I just say, of all the introductions I've ever had, I think blah, 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 blah is just <laughs> the most wonderful bit of it. Well, when people say they need, <laughs> you know, so-and-so yeah. needs no introduction, I sometimes get that also, deservedly or not. But if they say so-and-so needs no introduction, and then they read your official bio for 15 minutes, <laughs> and, and it's stuff that you're not even doing anymore or 
Maybe you were a little iffy about it in the first place. Anyway, whatever. Um, I liked it. Did you write, cook, eat, repeat during the pandemic? Well, I wrote it, it during the lockdown. The bit we had a very strong enforced lockdown for about four months uh, from last March, end of last March. But believe it or not, the title is pre-pandemic. Hard to believe. You know, people ask me this question, and I find it actually interesting. Did you get sick of cooking during the pandemic? Have you gotten sick of cooking? No, not at all. But of course, I wasn't cooking, you know, three meals a day for a family of four. I was by myself. And that makes a big difference because, well, not least because the amount of washing up yeah, and right. clearing up is smaller. And I right. think that would have started weighing heavily. So it really was just me. I was retesting some recipes as and when I could get the ingredients and you, you can never test or retest a recipe too many times, I feel. Right. So, but, but, but I didn't get tired of it. Uh, when you when you have just yourself to please, it's, it's a much simpler proposition. Right. I'm a terrible recipe tester. When I test recipes, I can't help but change them every single time so that by the time I'm done, it's not that I've really tested the original recipe. I've made it into a different recipe. And I I remember when I first started doing this 35 years ago, when I started doing this, I became friendly or I worshipped Jacques Pepin and I met him. And he's, you know, he's very articulate. And, and, mm-hmm. and wonderful in many ways. He said, a recipe is like a river. You never do it the same way twice. And I thought, well, that doesn't bode very well for people who write recipes since it means that whatever we're writing down is kind of a moment in time. But it is, right? Of course it is. It is a moment in time, but it has to stand up to countless other people cooking it that way in that first moment of time when they're just following the recipe. I mean, in a way, it's interesting that Jacques Papin says that because what is very true about restaurant chefs is, you know, despite their naturally perhaps unbridled creativity, they have to make it, their chefs who work for them in their, in their restaurants do make it the same each time. I would find that very, very difficult. But they have to, because people go back for a particular dish. They want it to be the same. And of course, at home, you know, it's not it's not quite the same thing. And it's impossible to, it's, if, you, if you cook a lot, I think it's very difficult to stick to cooking the same way. It's quite interesting, because I, I have occasionally sent food out whether it's generally people who who haven't been well, then I feel I must stick to what I gave them last time if they've put in a request for anything, right. and you know stick to it exactly. Right. And I, I, it, it's a, such a struggle for me. I cook for my mother sometimes, who's ninety five, and and will say things like, "This isn't how you do it. This is wrong." <laughs> <laughs> At the beginning, <laughs> the beginning of the pandemic, I ordered so much food. It was, I mean, everybody did, I'm sure, but um, I'm just finishing some of it. But it is sort of that. Well, I have this. I want to use it. I have that. I want to use it. I have this. I want to use it. What mm. am I? What can I do? Yeah, there's a lot of freedom in in not cooking for a specific reason. In not saying I have to test this mm. recipe or I'm I'm working mm. on squid or I'm working on celeriac or I'm yes. working on whatever. I'm just cooking. It's so nice. Having said that, there were times I really, I think for the first time in my life, I really got tired of cooking. Um, I really mm. felt like, I mean, I, I I have a partner, so I cook for her. She cooks for me too, but mostly I cook for her. And mm. I mean, we don't really cook breakfast, but sometimes, but often cook lunch and always dinner. And after doing that for a hundred days, 200 days, whatever, really with almost no relief, almost no relief. That's just unprecedented. No mm. restaurants, no friends inviting us over. The take, I live in a place where the takeout is just abysmal. So every time you, you do mm. it, you just wish you'd never done it and don't want to do it again. I'm wondering if you got sick of cooking at any point. Well, no, so the thing is, for the first two weeks, 
I didn't want to eat a vegetable. In fact, I didn't want to eat meat or fish either. I really only wanted carbs. I felt very in need of a blanket at all times. I would have a baked potato with olive oil, really good olive oil and molten salt and pepper for lunch. I would, in the evening, I'd have, you know, rice or pasta. And then afterwards, I'd eat chocolate. And that was about it. That was two weeks of that. Occasionally, potato chips. I wonder what that was about. If I, if I, uh, well, I think it was just a need for comfort and everything else felt almost too brutal. And then I recovered from that because there's only so much time you can eat like that. And I suppose I started using food much more to mark my days. So I get fish on Fridays and seafood that would last me through to Monday. And so I knew that was a weekend. And then often I would, I get vegetables at the same time. And then I'd move into a bit of, you know, vegetables and pasta or uh, that sort of thing. But um, because I was retesting recipes, that gave me also um, the, a sort of framework and a structure. So I didn't get, I didn't get tired. I strangely, I just didn't. And you're still eager to cook more or less every day. Well, yes, but I always have because I've worked from home for it since I was 27, which is, you know, over half a lifetime ago. And I don't go to restaurants a great deal normally. I mean, I mean, I like them, but I don't, I don't know, I don't go out, yeah. you know, enormously. So I, I didn't get tired, but also you don't actually need to cook all the time. I mean, bread and cheese is a wonderful meal. I'm so happy to eat things which don't, to my mind, involve a lot of cooking. I mean, for example, for lunch. So for lunch today, I just had, I made some noodles. I just tossed it in a small bit of oil with a bit of garlic and ginger. And then I put something called a peanut rayu, or maybe you pronounce rayu, which is like, you yeah. know, crisp, yeah. like that crispy oil, but crispy with peanuts oil. Yeah. And, and some chopped cilantro, you know? So I don't really regard that as cooking, but it was a lovely lunch. Right. I think that is, that's, when you said the bread and cheese thing, that's kind of my answer. When people say I'm sick of cooking, what should I do? I say, don't, it's fine. Just don't cook. Yes. And, yeah. or I, and you can have a bowl of rice with butter and salt and be really, really happy because you haven't had that for a while. Yes. And you could even skip meals. You know, I mean, you could do what you want. We had ice cream for dinner a couple of times during the pandemic, and I had never done that. Or maybe I did it when I was a kid, but I'd never done it as an adult. Mm. And that was just like so much fun. It was really great. Quite, was really quite. Great. I agree with you. <laughs> um, I'm going to, I want to talk about guilty pleasures for a second because we're sort of on the same page about that. And I'm going to read mm. from your book. I'm going to read to you from your book. I think that's kind of fun, right? No, I'd love to hear it in your voice. We're talking voice. about guilty pleasures. I'm going to skip around a little bit. If I could ban any phrase, it would without doubt be that overused viscerally irritating, and far from innocent term itself, the guilty pleasure. I don't think I actually groan out loud when I'm asked every time I'm interviewed, what are your guilty pleasures? But from deep within the cacophonous orchestra of my mind, the woodwind section starts up a searing wail, the cellos come in with their melancholy sob, only giving way to the brass section to end with the wah, 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 wah of the sad trombone. I may be smiling, but I'm keening on the inside. My answer to that question is always the same, and while I worry that I repeat it so often, it might be beginning to sound glib, I have to say that I feel it profoundly. And it is this. No one should feel guilty about what they eat or the pleasure they get from eating. The only thing to feel guilty about, and even then I don't recommend it, is the failure to be grateful for that privilege. I am very aware that the joy I celebrate in food is a privilege. I love that. <laughs> um, well, it is. Well, it is, though. And I also feel, I think someone once said to me when I was 
talking excitedly about something I'd eaten. Um, oh, well, you know, there are lots of, you know, there are many people, you know, who don't have enough food to eat. And I'm like, I'm aware of that, but you think it honors them to be ungrateful for what you eat. It doesn't. You know, I think that I'm not saying that gratitude is enough. It doesn't preclude one doing other things to try and, um, you know, make things better as much as one can in one's own way. But I, I'm, I, I think it's very, very important that you that we realise how lucky we are to have food on the table and to enjoy it. And I think that I've always been a bit like that, but maybe I think we're probably around the same age. I don't know. But I think that, I, you know, you get to a stage when you've eaten more meals than you're going to eat. And there is, sorry, sorry. Uh, and you, you know that I, I, I kind of feel you have to make the most of everyone. I mean, I've thought about that you should appreciate food and, and blah, 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 but I hadn't thought about the phrase guilty pleasure. And um, I teach at Columbia Public Health School and like the fact that you could say, I'm eating junk food. I'm going to McDonald's. It's one of my guilty pleasures. And not acknowledge that it is, in fact, a privilege to go eat wherever you want, whenever you want. Yes. and I, But I think that I would think the reason why you probably haven't thought about it a great deal is that it's a question that women are asked more often than men, because women's intake is policed more than men's and guilty pleasures right. to a woman normally has the subtext you should be on a diet um but what i would say is that on top of that i think a lot of snobbery and sort of class consciousness comes into this discussion of guilty pleasures as well because it is often people want to deflect attention away from sometimes from a food stuff they feel hasn't got, you know, chic status. Uh, so it's it's a, it's 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 whether it's about eating food that you feel you shouldn't in inverted commas or eating food that you feel may not reflect right. upon. Believe me, you in a very good way. Yeah. It's a nervous distancing. Uh, act if you like but uh, I mean this happens everywhere perhaps I, I'm more aware of it you know here in England because I live here and because it's obviously a very common subject but this this uh, attempt to place you through the food you eat or don't eat um in a class way yeah and and it's it's sort of preposterous and it also really ignores um the fact that one's likes and dislikes um, are pretty heterogeneous, if you like, you know, and they don't bundle up nicely. I remember when my children were very little, when the house reaped came out, um, and I was giving a talk at a lovely little bookstore here called Books for Cooks, and someone said, and I'd done a recipe for Moon Marignan, which at that time my daughter was pretty little and she loved it, and they said, oh, but, you know, be, um, you know, oh, come on, be honest. Uh, you, you know, you you say your kids like this, but what you know? Don't they eat? Don't they? You go to McDonald's. Don't they want chicken nuggets? And I went. Children are honest. They don't think because I like mussels, I therefore cannot like chicken nuggets. <laughs> right. They like what they like. They like both. They're not working that out. <laughs> and and I feel that in a way, why should we do that? It's, you know, we take your appetite for certain foods depends on many things, how much, you know, what mood you're in, what the weather's like, what, what emotional resonance certain dishes have. And obviously beyond that, you eat according to your budget as well. So, and I, by budget, I don't just mean money. I also mean time. I always say to people, there are two ingredients, essential ingredients in cooking, money and time. If you don't have much of the former, you need more of the latter. That's brilliant. When you're using expensive ingredients, you can cook fast. Yeah, that's really, that's really brilliant. That's really smart. After the break, more Nigella Lawson.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, folks. We have a new sponsor and an interesting one. We all take about 20,000 breaths a day, and Americans spend about 90% of our time indoors. That indoor air that we breathe can be up to 100 times more polluted than outdoor air, according to the EPA. And indoor air pollutants can cause respiratory symptoms like sneezing, congestion, scratchy throat, and even more serious health problems like lung and heart disease. So, what's the solution? Introducing Air Doctor, the air purifier that filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants so your lungs don't have to. This includes allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code BITMAN, B-I-T-T-M-A-N, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to our listeners, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock in this special offer by going to airdoctorpro.com. That's A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O dot com and use the promo code BITMAN. Have you ever bought something, owned something that really inspired you to up your game? A tennis racket, a new pair of running shoes, a new piece of cooking equipment that made you just want to cook your brains out? I know that when I first started cooking on induction burners, I just couldn't stop. It was so much fun. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Some of the features that are available on this car include dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats, you know you want that. Available 33-inch all-terrain tires, which you will want when you check out the multi-terrain select. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hi, folks. A word from our friends at Made In. Did you know that most of the dishes in Tom Colicchio's craft restaurant are made in, made in pots and pans? The braised short ribs, made in, made in. The Rohan duck, made in, made in. The heritage pork chop, you got it, made in, made in. Which isn't surprising. Made in has been supplying top chefs and restaurants with high-end cookware for years. For the simple reason that made in makes exactly what demanding chefs are looking for. Their carbon steel cookware, for example, combines the best of cast iron and stainless steel, gets super hot, and is rugged enough for grills or an open flame. Best of all, Made In is sold online, so their professional-grade cookware is far more affordable than other iron brands. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes on menus all around the world have in common. They're Made In, Made In. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from the 18th until the 27th. Visit MadeInCookware.com. That's MadeInCookware.com. Thanks. We're all drinking more water these days, and we're all concerned that we're drinking safe, clean, 
unpolluted water. Yet, according to our friends at the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in the United States have harmful contaminants in their tap water. That's why it's worth checking out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. They remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, you know, those forever chemicals, in your water supply. PFAS, by the way, is found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. AquaTrue has water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. Their proprietary purification technology is independently tested to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAS, nitrates, and many, many others. The filters are affordable and long-lasting, and they do not need changing every two or three months like so many others. They last from six months to up to two years. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water, less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you won't be buying bottled water, and it'll save the environment from tons of single-use plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and makes a great gift. Today, listeners to Food with Mark Bittman receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com, and enter code Bittman at checkout. For 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier, go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code Bittman, B-I-T-T-M-A-N. One thing I think we have in common is that we are often, uh, or at least sometimes, mislabeled celebrity chefs. And there's an interview in The Guardian in which you say, when people call me a celebrity chef, I just feel like I'm going to commit suicide, which... um, I don't... I don't... Did I say that? I found it. But, you know, it's okay. It was long ago. And we know you're not allowed to make jokes about that anymore. And yeah, well, I certainly, you know, want to, you know, stab myself in the eye with a busted knife. Well, there you go. I know what people mean, but you know, I, I both words are, are difficult, and in conjunction, they're pretty cringe making. I agree, um, but you know, celebrity, okay, you you can say, well, that that could be in the eye of beholder, but chef, I always say a chef yeah. runs a restaurant and I've never run a restaurant in my life. Yeah. I... No, quite. I mean, quite is a completely different idea, but the point is, I think people don't always understand that and they mean it as praise. So it doesn't do to sound too churlish. Well, good point. Despite what I said, um, <laughs> <laughs> I think if people say, I just feel, I, th- I you know, I don't think it's the case. And I also feel that it makes me really worried in case it looks like I'm claiming an expertise I don't have. I'm not even a cook. I'm a food writer, essentially. Yeah, I know. I, you know, I, don't, I cook at home and I cook and I've been alive a long time and been cooking for most of my life, certainly since I was a you know, fairly small child. So I'm experienced as a cook, but I don't. Anyone who sees me on television knows I don't have any nice skills. And there are things I don't know. I just cook because I cook. This is, um, I'm actually on the on the verge of writing a piece about why knife skills don't matter. And, and, and I realize that in part of it, it's defensive because I'm so embarrassed about yeah. it. <laughs> people used to do, when I used to do videos, people would say, show us how to chop an onion. I'm like, you don't want to see me chop an onion. It's not a pretty no, sight. I know. <laughs> When my, when I'm chopping, um, when I'm chopping for my television program, as my director Dominic Syriac more or less has to put a hand over his eyes as he's checking the monitor. <laughs> he so because I he can't bear it the way he, when he sees that. And of course, because we film in a particular way for the chopping part, it's about the fifth time I've done it. But once when I've got the camera just on my hands, it makes me so panicked I can barely hold a knife, let alone chop. Yeah, I won't do it. I I won't let anyone film me but actually I think it's quite chopping. But, but I think it's quite good for people to see that because you know how I think of it as like in the olden days, people would get, you know, chefs, these portly gentlemen would go on, 
you know, TV and they, you know, some breakfast show and they go, well, you first chop that and it'd be this virtuoso the knife you know, you know, like that, uh, you know, suddenly a radish looks like a chrysanthemum <laughs> and so forth. But the point is, when you're, if you're cooking in a restaurant, if you're two minutes slower on each carrot, th that, that night's service is not going to work. But I mean, when you're just chopping one or two carrots for your family, for a, for a meat sauce for your family, that it's immaterial. So I think it's quite good. This is my... No, no, that's great. Um, Making a uh, making a virtue out of necessity. It's good for people to see bad chopping. Um, <laughs> that's why I wanted to write this piece, and it's exactly true yeah. that if you're cooking one dish for two people or four people, the amount of time it takes you to mangle an onion is irrelevant. It just doesn't matter. There was a funny thing that happened recently, which this this kid, or no longer kid, this young man who's been working for me for since he was in college was chopping an onion somewhere on set. And I said, that is amazing how you do that. How did you learn how to do that? And he said, I learned how to do it from you. And I was like, I guess I just <laughs> haven't learned how to do it from me. So that was pretty funny. Yes, I know, but some people are better with their hands. I'm not, you know, I'm quite clumsy. Um, and, you know, if I, I mean, I knock things over nonstop when I cook, Right. but they are, I don't know that it particularly matters. Yeah, I don't think it, well, it's nice not to knock things over, but yes, I'm not nimble either. You cook with a bunch of ingredients evangelized mm -hmm. for a little bit that here at least are not super popular, rhubarb, anchovies, celeriac. I'm not saying I don't like these things, I love them, but- Yeah, yeah, they're not enormously popular. No, they're not. Which is why I wanted it. No, but that's why I wanted to write about them. I mean, a lot of people in this country too have a real horror of rhubarb, but um, but but in this country, it's normally because we we were scarred in our childhoods because it would be you know that very hardy rhubarb that then when you cook it is a khaki fibrous mush. <laughs> Whereas, although you don't have the Yorkshire forced rhubarb that we have, which is grown by candlelight um, inside. Is it true? Have to I'll yeah. have to read about Harvested that. by yeah. candlelight. Yeah. Yes, harvested by candlelight. And it's grown inside and it's very tender and absurdly pink. But, but you have hothouse rhubarb and it's certainly at the beginning of the summer rhubarb. It's before it gets very tough. Yeah. It's so, it is so wonderful. And I... I I like, I think the thing about rhubarb, which is so fascinating, is it's that tang it has, that it's not sweet. Yes, you do need to use a lot of sugar to balance it. But I think it's that sourness, that that particularly perfumed sourness it has. Once once you taste it properly, it it becomes very beguiling. And of course, I find it rhubarb also very interesting in savory uh, dishes. And I and I and that's wonderful too. I, I think sourness is is can enliven many things. You know, the same as we know when you just spritz some lime or or lemon. I think rhubarb has that. It sort of wakes you up. And I I feel that. Um, the recipes I've given in the book very much are very much there to to to, sh to show it in both ways, sweet and savoury, which I adore. But anchovies, again, they're they're a divisive ingredient, um, and I think that for many people it's very irritating to say to them like you've never had a proper anchovy. But for many people they haven't because they've had not very good yeah, anchovies yeah. that have curled up and died on top of their you know, pizza, but that I that I think that I've cooked anchovies in dishes that people who claim not to like anchovies have never noticed because really I think people just think salt, whereas of course what they add is such wonderful depth. But if you like salt as I do, um, and you know, I'm happy with just bread, butter, and anchovies. Yeah, well, that I think is the highest um, and best use of anchovies. So, uh. so, and also, I there's a wonderful which I didn't write about because I hadn't had it then. But there's a wonderful. I think it's Spanish. Is it called? I mean, I probably I, I don't know, worry. I might use the Italian word, but I'm saying matrimonio, which is a fresh marinated anchovy, 
uh, lying next to, I married, to an anchovy salted out and cured, anchovy fillet on. I had it with bread and garlic and lemon zest and a bit of parsley. It's extraordinary how good it is. That sounds great. Wonderful. And um, it is. Just back to rhubarb for one second. The recipe I found really appealing was the rhubarb and beef stew. Can you talk about that for? Yes. So I. I base that really on a koresh, you know, which I think is like an Iranian stew that is generally cooked with very little liquid, um, often water. Uh, and I used, I can't remember what I ended up using in the book, but I, I tend to use a beef cheek or something because if I'm making two portions for myself, a beef cheek is about a pound of meat and that, We'll do two portions. And so it's kind of a very spiced beef stew. And when you're nearly ready to serve it, you fry a bit, a bit of pigs and tender. You wouldn't want the very tough rhubarb. Fry a little in a bit of butter, add a bit of lemon juice, teeny bit of sugar if you want. I mean, it depends when in the season the rhubarb's been picked. And then add that to the stew and the stew, is quite, mine has a bit more liquid than a proper koresh would be. So my beef stew is very rich and spiced. And then there are those sudden nuggets of smooth sharpness. And when I made this the last time, when I was, you know, attempting to write down everything and measurements and timings, and because I wanted to have a, a go again, it struck me that it's very similar and I mean, it makes sense within this recipe to that particular perfume soundness you get from a preserved lemon. And, the, and the, I think that many recipes in rhubarb season, many recipes that call for a preserved lemon, as long as you don't put it in right at the beginning, you, because you, it would just disappear into the sauce. Right. If you did the same thing and it's quickly sauteed or slightly steamed in a pan with a bit of fat, some rhubarb and stirred it in, it would give you exactly that same wonderful, intense, and yet flavoursome tartness. And then finally, celeriac. Celeriac I adore. And I think it's such an interesting vegetable, um, not least because it's so very, I mean, like many vegetables, I suppose, but it's so very different raw and cooked. I think that for the first 20 years I ate it, I only ate it raw. I mean, it was always like, oh, well, I have a celeriac. I'll make celeriac remoulade, which of course is fabulous. We have a lot of celeriacs because they last forever. So um, Yes, they do. But I went to Denmark probably 20 years ago and, um, this friend of mine roasted celeriac with olive oil without even peeling it. You have a similar recipe in here, which is why I'm. Mm. Yes, it was it from. Uh, I first had it in a Yoshimotolingi restaurant, and it's just an amazing thing. You just roast it like a Isn't with it? olive oil, salt, and pepper, and it's just a fantastic thing. So I know it's it's wonderful. It's like a creamy, savory cake. Yeah, yeah. That's really, yeah, that's a good thing. Okay, well, I'm not asking you any favorite questions, so you can thank me for that now. And um, I thank you anyway. <laughs> I, this is nice. It's been really fun. Okay, Mr. Bittman, that was lovely. Well, thank you, Ms. Lawson, and uh, I'll see you sometime. <laughs> Take care. One of the great things about spring is that we're starting to see herbs. My sage is up. My thyme is up. I've planted some parsley, some cilantro, basil, of course, but that'll be later. The chives are up. So just use them or lose them. I mean, the best thing you can do is make a salad and throw a variety of herbs in there or or grill something with uh, herbed olive oil or herb butter. They're out there in huge quantities. It's time to use them. Spring is really the time for herbs, and there's nothing better than a mixed herb omelet. So just here's a simple one. Beat four eggs. You can add a couple tablespoons of milk or cream if you like. Add some salt and pepper and then a mixture of herbs, parsley, mint, a little tarragon, thyme, chervil if you can lay your hands on it, 
maybe a tiny bit of chopped sage, that kind of thing. Put a nonstick pan or a well-seasoned cast iron skillet over medium low heat. Add a lump of butter, and when that melts, add the egg mixture. There are various ways of making omelets. You probably have your favorite. The simplest is to just turn the heat down low and cook it undisturbed until the eggs are mostly set, but a little bit runny, and then fold it in half and slide it from the pan onto a plate. Top it with more chopped herbs. That is spring personified. Okay, now's when we're going to answer a few questions from listeners. Hey, Mark, um, I was curious if you had a thought if there was a specific number that would be too many toppings for a standard pizza, or to say it another way, um, how many toppings is appropriate for a pie? Um, And does that vary between a red pie and a white pie? For the answer to this question, I'm bringing in one of my pizza gurus, Daniel Meyer. Daniel? The short answer is is no. It's less about the number of toppings, right, than it is about the total weight of them, right? So, like, in general, you don't want to pile too many ingredients on top of your your crust. I think that that's that's what he's getting at, and I think that's the general rule, right? That's going to make things soggy and heavy, right? And you run the risk of the crust starting to steam in the oven instead of baking up sort of light and airy and um and crisp right so 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 there's some gent there's some gentleness involved in 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 the pizza making at home and some restraint for sure right like spending time building up this dough and making these lovely air bubbles um and that's precious that's precious cargo for a for a cook so you want to be gentle with those um right for the same reason that you don't roll out pizza dough with a rolling pin you also don't want to crush it under two pounds of pepperoni and and cheese the question of red versus white Does the sauce make the dough wetter and therefore less able to carry more stuff? Yeah, you want to treat red and white pies similarly, but tomato sauce is your, you know, tomato sauce is your base topping. So you want to put, um, you know, only a few things or, you know, many ingredients, but not too many of them um, on top of that. And white pie is, you know, it's truly a truly a blank slate. So maybe you have a little more latitude there. I guess the important point there is that the sauce counts as a topping. If the dough is your thing, right? If that's kind of like your that's kind of your leading your leading lady in your pizza, then um, you know you wanna you wanna honor it. You wanna you wanna give it some love, and you don't want to drown it out with. Um, I mean, I I think it is important to remember that they are toppings. They're not you know the the crust, as you say, is the star of the show, and and um, everything else is accentual flavorings. It's not a meal on top of a piece of dough, it's a fabulous kind of bread that's enhanced by the flavorings you put on top of it. Next, we have a call from Phil who says he's cooked my banana bread recipe from How to Cook Everything, which is actually a recipe given to me by my late friend, Sherry Slade. Hi there, Sherry, wherever you are. He says he's cooked it more than any other recipe in his life. My question is this. I now have three children, two of which are vegetarian. And we cook a lot of tofu and we cook a lot of beans. And I'm wondering what recipes you might have to suggest to me for vegetarian cooking that is still high protein, good flavor, and good vegetables. And I really appreciate your time. Good job. Kerry Conan and I have worked together. We met in 1990, so we've known each other 30 years. I think we've worked together 20. Um, Kerry has been my co-author on on many books for 20 years now and um, knows as much about cooking as I do. She probably knows more. So when we have general questions, Kerry and I are going to tackle them together. Um, oh, wow. Sounds like Phil is really tired of beans and tofu. <laughs> um, so uh, let's see if we can help him out here. I mean, high protein, good flavor, good... Fa- I mean... Look, beans are the most important source of protein in the world. So if you're going to be a vegetarian, you're going to eat beans. It's, you know. But can we debunk this protein myth just a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah I know of he course. Has, he has kids. Um, and I think people think, you know, they go, they, they want meat substitutes. And that's not necessarily necessary, we've discovered, right? Right. I mean, everything has protein. Lettuce has protein. Um, by, I mean, I think by weight, spinach has more protein than meat. I can't remember, but yeah, there are I, I statistics like that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, 
So it's and and Americans get first of all the recommended daily allowance was already set at twice what you really needed, right. and then we get most of us get twice that. There's like no protein deficiency in this country, hardly at all. Um, certainly right. not among our listeners. Uh, so what are we doing? We're just saying don't worry about the well, protein we, thing. Cook what you well, like. Cook what you like. I think we're saying. I think we're saying that. And there are ways to um, sub make easy substitutes. Uh, if you know, if Phil feels like having, you know, something meaty, and the kids don't, you know, have a roast chicken handy in the, right. in the refrigerator for, for you to, you know, supplement your own diet. Right. Um, uh, but in terms of, um, in terms of the kids, you know. Let's let's think of beans in stir fries for starters, instead of um, you know, and then then you just get a meat. You can use any recipe and right. just substitute the beans. I mean, the other thing is that what else? Phil doesn't mention grains at all, and you right. know, if you cook barley or you cook wheat berries or you cook even even uh, bulgur, right. In sauces, in stir fries, etc., they're really good mimics of of ground beef. And um, right, that's and, a good point. Yeah, and they're great for you. So, um, you know, again, it's stir fries and stews and sautéed stuff. They should always be whole grains. Try to steer the kids toward whole grain bread. You know, cook brown rice instead of white rice um, because you do get more protein and nutrients than with white. Right. I mean, wheat berries, farro berries. I mean, those are sorghum, which you turned me on to recently. Those are like, they are awesome grains and so chewy and, you know, again, meat-like. You know, the first time I tried so-called fake meat, I thought um, in a taco or something, I thought, oh, well, someone's put some wheat berries in this taco. <laughs> That's what, oh. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's like little, yeah. <laughs> little crunchy, chewy things, you know? Anyway, speaking and what about of good vegetables, I mean, oh, what, go ahead. What, what is good vegetables? It's spring. Yeah. It's summer. I mean, there's good vegetables everywhere. I'm cooking some kale leaves and flowers from flower, kale that went to flower early in the season because it was in a greenhouse. I'm cooking that even as we speak. So delicious. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah, really great. Why don't we move on since mm. we have a whole grain segue? Yeah. Why don't we move on to this question from Winnie? Hey, Mark. My name is Winnie Lingovic, huge fan, and we are looking forward to buying your new bread book. My wife just started making bread in the Dutch oven, kind of like this no-need bread thing, and it's been coming out fabulous. My question to you is how can we make no-need bread healthier? Yay, Winnie. So, um, well, we have the answer, but we're not going to – Talk through the book right here, right? Oh, I know we can't. <laughs> I think what we can say but, is that we have a we have a method for making hundred percent whole grain bread really easily, reliably, deliciously, blah, 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 blah. But the book's coming out in November, so hang on. Yeah, and you do need a sourdough. But in the meantime, you know, she she does mention Mark's no need bread. Um, and we didn't, we discover you can do up to 50%. Um, you'll, you know, you'll notice the crumb will be a little bit uh, tighter and the doming might not be so much, but you can use up to 50% substitution whole wheat flour in that recipe and just add water a tablespoon at a time as, you know, as you're mixing, because it's going to take a little bit more water. Right. I mean, I would say 30% is a sort of no-brainer and 50 percent is is kind of pushing. Remember we had that discussion with Dr. Ross who said Oh right. Thirty percent of anything, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the I mean, we did that. And in fact, after I wrote the no need bread thing, I went back and talked to Jim Leahy. So this is ten years ago or more, and I said, We you know, we have to I mean, this is interesting in a way. I said, we have to be able to get more whole grains into this. I mean, 100% white flour bread is just, it's not good stuff. It's not good for you. It really doesn't taste that great when you get into whole grains and so on. And Jim and I started messing around, and you and I started messing around with that 30% whole grain and so on. And that's what led us to, when I say us, you and me, 
led us to um, starting to say, how do we make this, you know, how do we make 100% whole grain bread as easy as no need bread? And we've kind of done that, but it's six mm. months away. The, the big reveal is six months away. That's it for this week's listener questions. If you have a question about food, cooking, or whatever, it does not have to be a cooking question, any question about food, call our listener question line. It's toll free, as if you're paying for phone calls, at 833-FOOD-POD, or to put it another way, 833-66-3763. That'll get you to our listener hotline. Leave your question, and uh, we may get back to you. We may just answer it on the air. Thank you for that. We've talked and heard a lot about the movie Seaspiracy recently. Um, I have feelings about that, as will become clear. But next week, we have two ocean experts appearing on the show. Ted Danson, yes, that Ted Danson, who is so much fun. And Dr. Daniel Pauly, who is one of the world's great experts on the health of fish in the oceans. Uh, Many people are concerned about fish, rightly so. It comes as a surprise to most people that the United States actually does a better job of fisheries management than most countries do. I think if there's one easy argument for having global agencies that control different aspects of especially the environment, but trade and climate change and so on, It is the state of the world's oceans. So that's something we'll get into next week. I hope you enjoyed this show. It was really fun for me. I'm looking forward to many, many more. And um, as I said at the opener, we have great guests lined up. We have a lot of ideas we have not yet introduced I want to thank the great and wonderful and really, really fun Nigella Lawson for giving us her time and coming on the show. That was a treat for me. You can order her book, Cook, Eat, Repeat, on bookshop.org. You can also find it on our website, which will steer you to bookshop.org, where the book will come to you from your local bookseller or, of course, from Amazon or anywhere else. You can also follow her on Twitter at Nigella underscore Lawson, or her website is Nigella.com. Check out that book, though. It's really beautiful and quite useful. Folks, if you liked today's episode, and if you're still listening, I can assume that you did, then please subscribe to Food with Mark Bittman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you like to listen. It would be real helpful if you left us a five-star review on Apple, and detailed reviews are the best way for new listeners to discover the show. You can find the recipe from today's show in the episode show notes or at bitmanproject.com or at markbitman.com. They all kind of go to the same place. Finally, Food with Mark Bitman is a part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Check out Airwave's other shows at airwavemedia.com or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Mark Bittman, and thanks again for listening to Food. See you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.